This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. It's for me, it's always like learn more about the world that we have now so that you can shape your future to the way you want it to be. That's Malene Morby echoing the long-valued sentiment of being the change you'd like to see in the world. In today's episode of Central Station, I'm joined by two STEM educators with a bold vision for STEM and particularly for girls' STEM education. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik. STEM education is still a challenge and probably will be for a while. Some schools have got strong STEM programs, whilst others have technology programs that do STEM-like projects And then there's everything else in between. My guests today are Malene Morby and Nikki Shires, both STEM educators and advocates for girls' involvement in STEM education. In this discussion, we cover just how to sell the value proposition of STEM to young people and what kinds of innovative approaches are needed to keep the vision alive, realistic and relevant for an unknown future. I started by asking them how they got there and why we still think about STEM as a thing. You both have a background in STEM education, and this is quite an interesting discussion because I'm talking to two people on the other side of the line, which makes things uh, very exciting indeed. Maylene, Mm -hmm. let's start with you. What what about your background in STEM? Can you briefly describe that for us? Sure. So I came from an IT background and shifted into teaching uh, just over 10 years ago. So mostly I teach computing and digital technologies because that's my experience and also my background. So So since going into education, I've also worked as a tech integrator, And um, apart from teaching, I'm currently involved in the use of educational data at various levels at school. It's an emergent role, so it's quite fluid in its responsibilities, meaning to say it evolves. I kind of do what I'm asked to do as needed at the time. Outside of school, I've been a director of ICTE New South Wales. That's our professional body for digital technologies teachers in New South Wales. Um, It's part of the bigger umbrella ACCE. I'm not a director anymore. I stepped down recently. Um, and I've also been active in teaching and blogging, although not so active lately because life's so busy. Yeah, well, life's busy for everyone. Tell me, 10 years ago, when you, ste- <laughs> when you stepped out of technology, sorry, when you stepped out of IT 10 years ago, what did you step out of particularly? Uh, sorry, I actually stepped longer than that because I did um, postgraduate education to get into teaching essentially. But I basically, my background in IT is development of information systems. And in that I've had a lot of roles from um, developer to systems analyst, project manager, um, program manager, consultant, the range of um, roles within systems development. Great. Information systems about. Now, the reason why I need to ask that is because it's going to relate to something I'm going to ask you both briefly uh, in in a moment. But Nikki, how about how about your involvement in STEM education? Where does that come from? Uh, I guess my background's a bit more creative. I've come from the visual arts and design background. That's what I studied at university, and then moved into teaching in those spaces, and then sort of saw a. Um, an opportunity to sort of be a champion in the STEM space, uh, particularly for girls, 
and in digital technologies. Just maybe because of um, my age, I came into it about the time that digital technology is becoming a thing at, at schools and I embraced it. And I think um, that's where I um, that led me to STEM. Also being a technology teacher as such, it sort of lends itself to the, the project-based um, approach. Um, and I get, uh, now I'm currently the lead um, in digital technology teaching in support at uh, Roseville from K to 12. So I get to go um, in the junior school as well as the senior school. And I, I guess my overall love for STEM is that it combines all the things I love and I get to bring in that creative um, approach into a space that isn't commonly thought of as um, creative. Well, that's fascinating because between the two of you, your your background is really broad, so specific in your own areas, but very broad when looked at collectively. And that's why I want to ask, why then is STEM a thing? Because don't we just talk about mathematical and scientific related stuff in technology subjects anyway? Why did we have to call it STEM? Yeah, really good question. Um, and it, it and when we were reflecting about this, you know, we decided it's actually quite a philosophical question, and it's and it got me curious. When did STEM start? And I got googling, and I found out that it uh, got coined around two thousand and one, um, which is yeah, towards the tail end of my IT career, in fact. Anyway, as it happens, the story goes that it was coined because in the U.S. because um, they wanted to focus more on um, boosting their performance in international tests like PISA and TIMS, and also to address the decline in jobs in STEM, which I guess is what we the the narrative that we hear nowadays. So for me, I guess it's almost like a, a way it emerged as a way to focus on specific subjects at school and possibly a little bit of a backlash from the silos approach of schools. Now, I'm not anti-silos. I believe that silos definitely have a space in schools because we need to specialize and you can specialize by focusing. And what is missing then is the, the connections across the board, not just in the STEM subjects, but across the board. So, so then why do we have STEM education when we have technology? And I think the reason is one for that focus so that you can be more intentional with your connections across the board and you can design syst oh, sorry, design work that will call on special specialties or specialization or specialist skills from all of these other subjects. Really? So that's my take on that philosophical question as I see it. Well, Nikki, perhaps I could ask you with your creative, more creative style background, did you ever over the years think or see that there was some kind of a separation between technology and STEM and the creative side of things that you do? And let me give you an example of that. So some people think, for example, and this might be a polarizing statement to make, that Apple products are beautiful that they're beautifully designed. So did, did you ever see a gap or some sort of distinction between a creative uh, pursuit and technology slash STEM? I, I think STEM in people's minds are as often because it's science and engineering, they often don't see it in a creative space. And so I don't think there has always, there's not a separation at all. It is a very creative 
um, field. All of those are very, even maths are very creative in the way that people approach the problem solving, but it's the, it's the mindset that people have to come um, to accept. And I think that is where the gap was. I think those STEM subjects were by nature polarizing to people who were creatives or more artistic or, or just more um, not in that maths mindset. And so I think they that that was the divide. And I'm not sure of the uh, why it became that way, but absolutely has become. And I think STEM and STEAM, which we like to call it at our school, has definitely refocused our students and our and our teachers to think that it can be much more creative, it can be much more collaborative, and it can be much more broad than just, you know, really um, problem solving that is strictly with rules. And so for me, as a creative, the, the idea of all those rigid, rigidity and the rules of some of those subjects was could be um, off-putting. And so that's why I think STEM bringing it in and, and showing people in a new light what it could be is what's made it a, you know more accessible, especially um, for girls' education, because I know we are both in girls' educators at the moment, and I think that's for us, that is it's a big area um, to shift for the, their mindsets to think it's something that can be more than just um, the yeah the obvious what you the rigid the rigid lines that are separating each one of those subjects. Melina, if I could come back to you then, how do you then, having stepped away from a more traditional IT career into this, you've obviously made a big decision to to move into education. That takes quite an mm-hmm. investment. How do you then? sell that message to the students? How do you sell STEM and technology? How do you really get them fired up? And particularly also because you make that reference to uh, girls in uh, girls' education in particular with technology, what's the message? Um, my mantra, <laughs> my mantra is actually make IP humane. And so it's not the pursuit of technology, but to make technology more humane. And you do that by acknowledging that we need people. And by people, I mean the diversity of people. So for me, when I try to sell, sell, sell or tell people about studying STEM subjects, it's not really in direct relation to this is the career that you will have, but rather because STEM technology is part of everything we do we have to know what is involved. And so whether you're part of the actual design and development of the technology in a direct way or as a consulting way, say for example, if you're not a software developer, but you might end up becoming the financial manager, then it's good for you to know how that technology was developed in the first place. So for me, my selling is, it's an important part of their whole or um, what do you call it? A well-rounded education should have elements of um, STEM and the arts and the humanities because that's what people are. We are not just technical beings. We are not just emotional beings. We are a whole lot of stuff. So for me, it's always blending those two, and that's and you can't blend what you don't have. And so, <laughs> so, so it's a it's for me, it's always like learn more about the world that we have now so that you can shape your future to the way you want it to be. Nikki, do you have a mantra? 
Oh yeah. <laughs> I definitely have a mantra. But I mean, but in relation to this, I I I often, in relation to selling it or promoting it in the school, my my focus um, is to try to make it um, I tailor it to the students' needs and I try to make it accessible and fun and mm. and creative and collaborative. Um, all of those things are really important because if you look at it from a, a perspective of the high end of all of those subjects, it's scary for students. And so I think for me, my mantra is to continue to make it fun and creative and accessible. And then the other end of that is also for the teachers, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But for students, absolutely, those are my focus. I've heard it said that uh, STEM classes are usually just all about coding and robots. Is that true in your case? What do you actually get the students to do? What 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 sort of things would would we see if we walked into one of your STEM classes? Yep. Can I start with this? With yeah. um, just co-curriculum um, is my my main area. I mean, we do in our in our mandatory tech classes um, bring in STEAM and STEM related um, projects, but co-curriculum, um, my we we create a space that is crea- creative and to explore without judgment. That's how I kind of see it. Without they learn by doing, and that's something that we often can't afford to do in curriculum-based subjects that are rigid with those um, certain things that they have to cover. Mm-hmm. And so we're able to be a lot more exploratory, which uh, opens up people's um, opportunities and maybe opens their minds to something new and different. So that learning by doing is a great way to do it because the only way you really learn something is if you learn by making a mistake. So those of it's in co-curricular spaces, that's how we that's how we focus. Mm. So, I mean, I can't really speak for science. I've never taught science, but certainly I've taught mathematics and mostly computing. So is it mostly coding in computing classes? Well, in mine, it does have a big part, but in stage Five, for example, we're supposed to explore different types of technology. So I do explore different types of technology. So we do a little bit of um, physical computing. So use of microcontrollers. We also explore digital media. Um, but then more recently with the rise of data science and because of my background in, in data systems, data and information systems, I brought that in as well. So I exposed the students to working with um, small data and big data and how we could use technology to actually um, make sense of data and create um, information um, visualizations as well. Um, We also explore AI. Now I'm, I'm definitely um, saying that we're not creating AI, we're, we're exploring it. The closest we can get to, to creating AI is probably some chatbots, but it's a good um, opportunity for, for students to, you know, year nine, year 10 age students to really kind of understand what AI is and what are the social and ethical implications of developing it because I need my students to see that they are not just users of technology but developers of of technology if not now then into the future they will be part of that development so those are some things that 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 we teach and also in um higher stages yes coding is part of it it's uh, but at the same time we also teach design like the process of design itself and the importance of communication which is why we document things because it facilitates communication and 
because computing sits in the TAS faculty, we also um, teach project management as, as part of that. You know, if you're if you're going to create a project, things don't just happen. Um, you actually need to learn some project management techniques to help you succeed um, with working on something that takes more than two weeks, for example. So I think that's probably one of the biggest values that's underrated um, in the design subjects that we teach. Well, let's talk a little bit more about those skills that you need to teach for projects, for example, that go for a couple of weeks. It sounds really broad and, and exciting what you're describing in, in both of your situations there. And I wonder sometimes how much how much time do you need to spend with students explicitly teaching them stuff before they can go off and do the creative stuff? Because we are talking about very technical things. And I guess you can't really imagine that a student would just magically walk into your room with all of this knowledge and then just build stuff. Although some of them might be enthusiasts and maybe some of them can, but largely I suspect that they wouldn't. So how much of it is explicit teaching before you can launch into that super creative space? So it depends on the topic, right? Some topics, some students have some exposure already. So say for example, digital media, then I might not have a lot of explicit teaching there, but, um, there are some where, for example, in data science, where most of my students have no experience at all um, with the, the processes of, of data science itself. Like, for example, one of the questions they ask, like, what does data cleaning mean? And then you think, well, it is a thing that we do in data science, for example, or a lot of the students are not confident with working with spreadsheets or working with data that's like, at the moment, my year 10s found that they can't use Excel anymore because their data set has more than 200,000 records. Now in other subjects, they don't work with records or with that many rows, you know? So, so in that particular instance where I believe students don't have a lot of exposure, then I will do some explicit, a lot more explicit teaching before we launch into the project. And there are also cases, particularly in, 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 in computing, where I have students who have much better skills than me because they spend all their weekends coding, for example. In those particular instances, what I would do is um, teach a minimum and then launch immediately. And then that gives me time to work with those at the lower end of the scale or who needs more of my support is probably a, a better way of saying it. There are students who need a lot more of my support and then I will do more small group teaching than whole class teaching. So there's still a lot of explicit teaching, but instead of whole class, it's in smaller um, smaller groups or perhaps even individuals. Yeah, I, I can add to that. Um, I'm trying to think of another example that would be good in teaching a new skill to young people. So I've been working with some younger um, years threes and fours in robotics. And I know that's not um, STEM specific, but in fact, it really is a STEM, a STEM um, learning experience. Um, they, I, you don't have a whole lot of time with them and you also cannot waste too much time with the learning of the skills because they want to jump into the doing. Mm. And so what we do is we do learn by doing. And, and I think that is 
As long as you choose a technology or a, um, a system that is within the, the reach of them without having to learn huge amounts of skills before they can really get into it, it does allow for that immediate learning experience. So I think that happens. It's, we, we, I definitely select certain technologies and mm. uh, for those use age groups to be able to get straight into it and learn by doing. As you get a bit older, you can expect that, one, they will have pre um, knowledge, um, even from other subjects that you've never discussed, and as well as just because they're all tech savvy, they will have a certain amount of skills that they bring to the table. Um, and so, um, and I assume the same with science and math, they're coming with those skills that they've built up from um, kindergarten all the way through. And so we're taking those skills. But of course, we are introducing new things as we go. But for me, it's absolutely should be student student-led in the way that they approach it, and also they learn um, experientially, like learn by doing. Maylene, coming back to you, what, what do you think are some of the, the key strategies that keeps the students engaged or engages them for the first time? How do you, how do you get them to just make a start, and, and how does that enthusiasm get maintained? Um, well, I'm very lucky that teaching computing falls within the design sphere because um, it allows for creativity and it allows for um, work that I call, and I did not coin this by the way, except I cannot credit who it is because I've forgotten. Um, it's called low floor, high ceiling and wide walls. So my units of work are typically like that, meaning there's a low level of entry, there's a high ceiling, meaning they can take it as far as they want, and then wide walls in terms of their option on what to do. So say, for example, when I did um, AI case study um, at another school, and one of my kids was really interested in Latin, and I said to him, oh, do you know that computational linguistics is a thing, then you can combine your interest in languages with your interest in software design, and then you can study that as your AI case study. And so he did that. And then because it's quite open-ended, I was, yeah, it's like open-ended in terms of they can choose whatever topic they can do. So he studied that. And then one one day he said to me that, oh, miss, I wrote my own Latin translator because I didn't like Google's one, for example. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I know. It was, so, it, it was so good. I got him to present at the Python conference. But the so I have a lot of units that are like that. So it's very difficult to design in the first place and it's hard to, to assess as well, um, but it really ups the ante in terms of engaging students and letting them go as far as they want. Um, but at the same time, the same unit will, you know, give someone who, who is probably not as capable still an opportunity to succeed or at least attempt um, that particular topic, for example. So that's one approach that I know is is uh, one of my go-tos. So Nikki, perhaps I could ask you the same question, but from a slightly different angle. With all this innovation mm. and creativity going on, do you ever get burnt out? <laughs> how do you keep it, how do you keep it alive? <laughs> do you ever yeah, out-innovate yourself? Question. 
Oh, um, I think that is uh, a risk that all people in the yeah. digital tech space uh, face because there is constantly new things mm -hmm. coming out and constantly trying to keep up with them, as well as keeping up with students who are quite tech um, capable. And so I absolutely, I'm not burnt out. I'm still fairly motivated, but I think I have a, a good approach in that I, um, I, I was mentioning earlier that I, I'm very much teacher focused when I develop programs because being a teacher I know what it, <clears throat> excuse me what it's like to have to take on something brand new and so I try to look at it from the lens of the teacher to create something that is realistic it is um, still authentic for the the students and and um, challenging but also looking at small and it's sort of like what Melin um, was saying, the, the ability to um, have a low ceiling but wide walls, um, a high ceiling but wide walls. So the ability to go there if you want to. And absolutely, the other thing I wanted to mention is considering resources. So a lot of, a lot of schools will have, um, it would be well-resourced or poorly resourced, but I think in both cases, you will have resources that you can draw upon. And it's really about it being strategic about how you use those. So reusing old ones to, to flip the way you do it. So um, and, and changing it into a different context, using things that you were given for competitions and then doing internal competitions. Um, just really flipping it so the students are leading what you're doing and letting them mentor. So at the moment we're running um, a robotics program at school where they're actually the students are the ones leading it because they're mentoring the older ones are mentoring the younger ones and it is an incredible thing to watch as they learn more about themselves and by about coding and robotics just by doing that as well so it's really just about being creative to not to not allow yourself to get burnt out Oh, sorry. I just wanted to add to that one. Um, in something like this, where it's so easy to get burnt out, um, I get my energy from students as well as my colleagues. And I think the reason why it's a little bit easier to do the stuff we do is we work with good colleagues. And Nikki and I work well together. And there are other people in, in the team as well. And I think for me, that definitely helps energize me. And um, I can bring that into the classroom, but then I feed off my students as well. Yeah. It sounds like a vampire, doesn't it? Um, you know what I mean. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I feed off their energy. <laughs> so yeah. a question to you both then. For a school that just wants to make a start, let's say they've got no STEM program at all. Like they've got all the usual subjects, but they want to sort of do something that they can call STEM. Should they look into that space and go, oh, that's really scary and run away very quickly? Or they, should they have a go? And if they should, what's the first step? absolutely shouldn't run away that's not <laughs> because it's not as scary as it as it sounds I think um, every school will have a different approach it really will depend on your school and that's what you have to do is look at your leaders um, look at your resources human and non-human resources and um, and look at that and scope what you have um, and also look at the curricular and the co-curricular you don't have to put it in in uh, explicitly in mm. as an actual subject there's so many other opportunities to mm. bring in stem within classrooms as well as um, externally and so i think for me um, those are the tips i'd give but also to be um, be kind to yourself because anything that you're doing towards in that space is a really positive um, move in that direction what about mm, you, man? Definitely. Um, I guess if you're launching into it, I, 
you've got to ask, are you going to do curricular or extracurricular? Obviously, curricular, we have those individual subjects already. Um, but if you want to have integration of, of all those different subjects, I mean, from a curricular perspective, there are board-endorsed courses that you could just pick up. And in one of my previous schools, that what we did, we just picked up a board-endorsed course and ran with it and adapted it as we went. So instead of starting from scratch, you have something there already. But here at Roseau College, we're more of an embedded, integrated approach. So within your subject, if you can make those connections, then, then do. Although having said that, we did try, oh, we are we have tried and we're, we're going to improve on that. Um, so from last year, year seven, we uh, we designed a science and technology engineering unit. So they they made simple machines and technology, but they learned about the mechanics itself and the science involved within their science subjects. So that that's uh, our initial attempt in actually doing something, um, which when considering we did it in COVID year, um, is pretty impressive. So it was successful it was also really good. because it was embedded in our existing classes. Mm. It didn't, it, we didn't have to do it. We didn't have to rearrange the whole timetable to make it possible. Yeah, yeah. So that's one way of doing it too. So where do people go to get help? What about networks? Are, th are there things like that around? Can mm. they talk? Can we talk to you? <laughs> can they email you? I need help. Uh, yeah, they can email me. I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter, I find a lot of inspiration there. And for people who are still in Facebook, I do know that there's quite a few Facebook and I'm <laughs> being part of professional organization. So even though I'm not a director of ICT in New South Wales, I'm still an active member there. Yeah. And then so hang on, hang on. Um, hold on. Did you just say for those people who are still on Facebook, what is Facebook? Is, <laughs> is Facebook gone now yeah. or something? As in, is that just oh, no longer popular? It's still there, but you know, in the IT industry, generally speaking, they say don't be in there because of security, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh. <laughs> um, not, not just security, privacy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So even though I'm not in IT anymore, I still have my IT network, and I know in the industry, Facebook <laughs> isn't necessarily esteemed as a good place um <laughs> well i can say that i'm on facebook groups for you know first lego league and other robotics things so it, and that so yeah i would say my other great way of meeting um other stem um interested and like-minded people um is just attending a few conferences yeah once you've been to one or two you'll see similar people and really they are it is the one best networking mm. opportunity you really do find a lot of like-minded people who want to share resources which is wonderful i could add there that don't just attend um try to give back try to share as well because it's we're stronger together i think i'm not a natural presenter i i do not really want to present most of the time, but I feel that if everyone felt that way, then we won't have anything. So, so for me, part of networking should be a, a give and take mindset. Like don't just go in to take, make sure you're prepared to share as well, even if it's just with the people you're having coffee with um, or tea. Definitely. Conferences, when we can go face-to-face -face again, will be fantastic. Well, I think it sounds like your students are very, very fortunate to have two really super motivated Aww. people in their STEM space <laughs> offering the programs that you do. I think it's been wonderful chatting with you this afternoon. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Thank Colin. Thank you, Colin. A willingness to share, collaborate and be motivated sounds like a great way to get started. 
You've been listening to Central Station. If this story resonates or you know a friend or colleague who is considering making the jump into STEM education, then please share it with them. And for more great stories from inspiring educators from around Australia, make sure you subscribe to Central Station on your favourite podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Central. To find out more, visit the website central.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Thanks for listening.